You may have seen in the email this week, we introduced Elle Pike. If you didn't watch that little video, I'll just give you a little tiny summary here. Um, but this is my dear friend, Elle Pike. Yeah, we can like wave and get a good old welcome. Um, Elle and I have been friends for a, lo a lot of years. I think we figured out 16. And, um, and I'm really excited for her to share with you all today. As you all know, Steve is, Steve's wife is expecting a baby any day. So could be tomorrow, could be today, we're not sure. Um, and so when he was planning for this to be off for a couple weeks, he suggested, what about Elle? We could ask Elle to come and speak. And I was 100% on board. Um, Elle has just a wealth of experience and knowledge to share. And I really think this is going to be a meaningful and rich time for us together. So I'll let her tell you more about her and her, the work that she does. Thanks, Elle. Thank you. Oh, good morning, everybody. So I was actually a 15 years old. I was a, a bright-eyed Pentecostal girl when I had first heard of this thing that was happening um, in Waterloo on a campus at the Humanities Theater. So I actually remember walking into this room with like uh, university age students that were older than me and a man wearing uh, what I can only describe as moon shoes. I don't know if any of you were back there in the day, but he was wearing moon shoes, came out on stage, ripped this mean guitar solo. And I remember asking to my friend, what is this? Is this church? And from that day on, uh, I have always had my eye and my heart uh, bent toward what was happening at Elevation, even before it was Elevation. One of the first podcast episodes that we did with the organization that I work for um, was actually early 2016 with your beloved Steve Tullock. So for those of you who may remember Steve, um, and at the time he was sharing with me um, on the podcast about this new venture that they had just started at Seven Shores and about your community. So you can imagine my uh, deep joy when my dear friend Melissa came on staff and then uh, Steve Copeland, who I have known for six years and have uh, deeply come to appreciate, um, ended up being your transitional pastor. So with the honest to goodness truth, I can say that I am so privileged to be speaking here with you, having just known so much about your community and I'm so grateful uh, to be here. I thought that I would share just a little bit about myself, for those who don't know me, which is probably a lot of you, and just a little bit about the organization that I help uh, to co-lead. And then I wanna offer us uh, a few conversations and some statistics around the church uh, landscape in Canada. So I grew up in the wonderful city of Guelph, just down the road. As I mentioned, I spent my earliest years of kind of spiritual formation um, in the Pentecostal world. And so as all good Pentecostal kids do when high school is over, well, we go to Bible college uh, with dreams of becoming a world changer. After a couple of years of theological study uh, to become a pastor, I thought, oh my, mm-mm, no, I don't know who wants that job, but I'm just not sure that that is for me. Uh, I quickly changed my plan. Perhaps it was the time or the cultural moment that I was in, but it really did seem like it was a one-man job. No. I guess pun intended. Um, and so I just thought, you know what? This maybe isn't for me. And maybe I will set my sights on something in the not-for-profit world, uh, in the Christian world, so that I could do something that I felt had a bit of meaning. Well, I got my uh, feet wet in those spaces and through some random circumstances, found myself in the business world. And I started uh, with a small group that had actually um, started a company in town here that was a, a sales outsourcing 
a marketing company uh, with two of my long-standing colleagues. And dear Steve, uh, who's up there uh, running the sound, was also part of that crew. So it's great to see you this morning, Steve. Um, and so as a result of that work, I found myself deeply enmeshed in the tech startup scene here in KW. It was a world that I was totally unfamiliar with. I was completely unqualified to be there, but um, I really did fall in love with it all. I probably don't need to give you a big long explanation of the startup scene in KW, for all I know. Some of you work in it or once did. But I found myself in this flurry of activity, going to all of these incubators and accelerators at the university and going to these pitch nights where these wide-eyed entrepreneurs would show up and pitch their great idea and venture capitalists would either give them some money or not. I really caught the innovation bug. I just had never been around anything like it. And so in our desire as a company to kind of serve startups and try to understand all of this uh, language, I took a course from Stanford University. Sounds fancy, it wasn't really. Um, but I virtually was with all of these other people who were so desiring to become, at the time, the, the next uh, Mark Zuckerberg. And really, for the first time for me, it dawned on me, where do churches come from? Are they just always there? Did someone start them? I really had never considered it. I had never considered church startups or church planting. And for the first time, I had thought to myself, huh, I really wish that there were pastors in this room with me right now, learning all of this innovation uh, principles. I wish that they were fellow Jesus followers who were kind of thinking about doing things in a new way. And so that's kind of when I caught the church planting bug. Could the church in Canada change? Did it even want to? And it was around that time that I met up with my old dear friend, uh, Jared, who had been helping plant new worshiping communities for 10 years, but you know what? I just really liked to make fun of him. I never paid attention to his job. I made fun of him for selling out and working for the man, even though he still walked around with a beard and a wallet chain. So I just never really paid attention to, oh my gosh, this person that I know has literally been doing the work that I'm considering. And so he came home from a conference and had this idea that maybe people who were trying new and out-of-the-box ideas for the church should know one another, should take care of one another, and should have conversations about Canada. And so I think his kind of dream at that time to start something more and uh, my desire to start anything um, came together at the right time, and the rest is kind of history. And so for the last eight years, I have been a part of an organization called New Leaf. And really, we have been a Canadian, collaborative, Jesus-centered network that tries to support pastors and equip people together um, who are thinking about new um, spiritual opportunities, we call them spiritual entrepreneurs, or people who are thinking missionally or, or trying to be catalysts in their neighborhood that kind of come across from all different theological perspectives and denominations. And so over those years, we've followed all sorts of weird rabbit trails. We've started some academic research projects. We started a podcast network. Uh, we tried to start a small little Canadian imprint to try to get Canadians to write books. Please write books. And we've been hosting these uh, small kind of learning cohorts online that have talked about things from uh, the theology of disability to a, a very important topic that we just did in September on clergy sexual abuse. And so because of all this weird work that I do, I really do feel, in all humility, like I kind of have a sense of what's going on in Canada. 
I get the privilege to work with pastors from all across the country. I get the privilege of working with denominational leaders from all across the country and from academics who are trying to have conversations about Canada and help understand what's going on here. So I want to say this to you before I kind of share some statistics with you. I want you to know that you are not alone. You are asking the same kind of questions that so many other Jesus followers across Canada are asking. What does it mean to follow Jesus in this current cultural moment? Not just to believe his words, but to follow in his way. What does it mean to foster worshiping communities that have bigger tables where everyone is included? What does it mean to be faithfully present in our neighborhoods with our friends and with our families? What does it mean to have sanctified imaginations, to try to identify and discern what's happening right here in our midst? And it's because of this work that Steve and Melissa asked me to be here uh, today. So I want to take us on a bit of a journey for the next two weeks into the current picture, kind of what's happening across the Canadian landscape. Uh, I've been collecting some of this data. Like I said, I've been having uh, these conversations. Um, and so as I've kind of done this work, I've come to this realization, uh, at least for me, I kind of sense that as the church in Canada, we are in the wilderness. And so I'm calling it the wilderness for the next two weeks. And I know that maybe the word wilderness holds different meanings for all of you. Uh, I connect regularly with a group of pastors across Canada, and we have been debating all week if I should call this series The Wilderness, because not all of them uh, see it in the same way that I do. Maybe for some, that language of the wilderness sounds like a barren place, where starvation is imminent, or something is going to come and kill us. Or maybe it's a place where we weep, because all of the familiar landscapes are gone, our GPS lost its signal, and the only thing that we have is fear, and the hope that we can go back. Back anywhere, I don't know, just not here. But for others, the wilderness is kind of spellbinding. That fresh air, the sense of freedom, it holds a gravitas that the city can't really hold. You respect the wilderness, you love the wilderness. Nothing brings you more clarity or more peace or more joy. The Bible, as you know if you're someone who reads the Bible, has an awful lot of imagery about the wilderness. I honestly think you could probably spend an entire year going through all of the scriptures that talk about that. The Israelites who wander there on the way to the promised land. Some people actually escape oppression by going to the wilderness. Others get a one-way ticket uh, to the wilderness because they've been exiled. We learn Bible stories about Hagar and her son Ishmael who actually find safety and sustenance there. I think scripture paints a really interesting conversation for us about the wilderness. Some people start their ministry there, um, and other people, like I said, end up there, and they didn't really want to be there. So maybe you can forgive me the metaphor. Maybe you don't like the wilderness metaphor, or perhaps you can just suspend your judgment and embrace it with me for a couple of weeks here. Um, but as I have flown and drove and walked and spent time online, I really do think uh, that this might be our time as the church in Canada in the wilderness. And if this is our, uh, for such a time as this, a moment that really no tips or tricks or techniques is going to get us out of, then what does that mean for the church in Canada? How do we live faithfully as the body of Christ in the wind-whipped depths of the wild? I want to be honest with you. 
Some of these statistics might be hard to hear. It's not necessarily a good news story that I'm going to paint. So don't be mad at Steve and Melissa for asking me to come. It's my fault. They didn't know that I was going to make you sad. But I have come to realize this truth. This is the uh, truth for my own life, uh, for my own spiritual journey. I can't really imagine and hope for what is to come if I can't accept the reality of what is. It's really difficult to imagine, to discern, to get excited about what the next steps could be if we're constantly evading or avoiding the reality of what is before us. And listen, if you know the Enneagram, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so this really isn't my jam. I would much rather come here and make you happy and excited, but uh, I just want to come and be honest. Maybe for some of you, you know that the Canadian landscape religiously has changed. Uh, maybe you uh, are a bit of a data nerd like me, and you've seen some of these statistics before. Maybe this is just what you've come to know uh, in your families. I know there's people that I grew up with, that I went to school with, that I used to worship with, who aren't interested in the Christian story anymore, people in my family. And for many of us, we've just discerned that it's different. We don't even really need to see the numbers. We've just intuited it, uh, that things have changed, and that it seems like it's changing at a rapid pace. And so the first slide that I want to bring to you this morning um, comes to us from the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. It's a pretty good slide. I apologize that it's a little small. Hopefully you can kind of get the gist. I'll explain the slides and quite happy to send you these slides in a PowerPoint or a PDF if it would be of interest to you. But this is a look at the weekly religious attendance across the last 75 years. And uh, it's across all religious groups, and it's asking how often you actually attend weekly religious services. So on the side you can see there, at the top, at the bottom, sorry, at the top, it says 67%. Underneath that you can see that's 1946. So in 1946, 67% of respondents indicated that they attended weekly worship services. So if you kind of look all the way to the right, as you can see, those numbers have declined. And the information that we have uh, right before um, COVID, so it would have been um, early 2020, is that that number across Canada has dropped to 11%. And of course, during COVID, uh, there were some restrictions on gathering or people just didn't always gather online. I confess, I did it too, it's okay. Um, but that number uh, dropped to 9%. I think uh, we know this is true. <laughs> uh, it's not just a reality for those who no longer attend church, but sometimes for ourselves, I do enjoy the summers off, I must confess. Um, I like to go on vacation. So, you know, weekly, we just, it's not a judgment, but just statistically, uh, people aren't coming to church every week like they used to. The next slide that I want to show to you um, actually looks at, um, this would be the religious affiliation. Um, this is some data that's been crunched from, you can get all of this online, by the way. I did not make this graph. It's a good thing I didn't. It would not look this nice. Um, Angus Reed and Cardis. So all of this stuff is kind of available to you if you're interested. But this is kind of the breakdown of religious affiliation in Canada. So across the bottom of the graph, you can see that this has been tracked since 1996, um, all the way to 2001. So the gray section at the top is really what's interesting to me. Uh, they are the group who would say on a census um, that they have no religious affiliation. So we call this group the nuns, the N-O. N-E-S, not our Catholic sisters, the N-U-N-S. But I just can't say non, it just seems weird. It's the nuns. Um, and it is really 
as you can see, uh, as the graph kind of moves to the right, it is a rather large growing demographic in Canada. Actually, it is the fastest religious designation in Canada. It has been that way for a number of years and continues to be. In 1996, that segment of the population was around 23%, and that number has doubled over the last 25 years to 45%. Now, they may have been a little uh, excited about the 45%. It's not quite 45%, but it's close to it. Um, and the only reason we know that now is because we just got some new stats. Also interesting to note, I don't know about you, uh, I have a very tenuous relationship with the word, the myth, the legend of evangelicalism. Maybe some of you aren't sure that you're still evangelical. Maybe you're apologetically still evangelical. Maybe you're small e evangelical. Uh, or just know that you aren't like the American evangelicals, but you still have a little affinity for that word. Um, so if you're not carrying around evangelical baggage from your upbringing, may I say with deep sincerity, bless your heart. Bless your heart. May you light a torch and uh, help us get out of the dark. But for those of us who still have a tenuous relationship with that word, I just kind of thought it was interesting. I don't know about you, growing up in evangelical circles, I thought everyone was evangelical. Anyone else? I gotta tell you, I lived in a small world. That's what I realized. 1996, only 12% of the Canadian population identified as evangelical. And that number, like with all numbers, uh, is shrinking. And they're guessing here it's about 7% of the population of Canada um, would identify as evangelical. Perhaps you mourn that number, perhaps you rejoice, but it is just something to remember when we compare ourselves to American evangelicals, which happens so often because that is often what is flooded in our social media feeds. Uh, a Canadian pastime as old as hockey and as sweet as maple syrup is looking down our noses at our brothers and sisters to the south. So I certainly was not trying to do that, but just to point out to you, the data uh, is that evangelicals will never swing a vote in Canada. We never have, so don't believe that myth that we ever could. Um, we never had that ability. Uh, the next slide that we have um, is the most up-to-date uh, information, because two weeks ago, the long-awaited religious census data came out. Can we clap? Can we clap? Thank you. Religious data geeks rejoice. I was so happy. Uh, it's the gold standard of data. You can't beat it. It's better than Cardis. It's better than the EFC. It's better than Angus Reid, although they do their best. And I am not being paid uh, uh, as a representative from StatsCan or for this advertisement. But please, the next time the census comes out, try to fill it out as honestly as you can, because this is what it gives to us. It gives to us really um, exceptional granule granular data. You can go and see this online as well. They break it down um, even further than this. I am super grateful for folks like, and this may be a name you know, Joel Thiessen from Ambrose University. He is an um, uh, associate professor of uh, sociology. He and uh, his um, colleague, Sarah wilkins Laflemme, who's at the University of Waterloo, um, they do these, this work. They crunch these numbers for us. So I'm definitely stealing this from Sarah. So thank you, Dr. Sarah wilkins Laflemme, for putting this data together in something that makes a little bit more sense. So as you can see, um, it has doubled. Uh, like I was saying, the number of uh, the nons has doubled in the past 20 years, not quite the 43%, but 
but this is pretty good data that no religion, that big black part of the graph, is what uh, the Canadian uh, society would say. Catholics are still in there, mainline Protestants, Baptists, Pentecostals, hopefully you can kind of all see that, and then the other religions as well. Um, oh, and something to note, that non-religious category includes people who identify as atheist and agnostic, as well as people who are humanists or with other kind of secular perspectives. It's also um, just people who don't know what they think. <laughs> so I don't want people, sometimes people think this and think, oh my goodness, we have like 35% of Canada that are raging angry atheists. That's not really, uh, that's not really the case. And although Christianity remains the majority religion in Canada, which may be interesting to some people to, say, to come to that realization, um, only 53% of the population reported an affiliation. So that's down 14% from 2011, and that's down 24% from uh, 2001. The 2001 stats aren't on any of these slides, but um, interesting to note. The next slide kind of breaks things down even further. That gives you the 2011 to 2021 um, stat range that I'm talking about. Many of us have often wondered in church circles, um, or maybe we've experienced, that there seems to be a connection to this growing group of people called the nuns and those who used to have Christian affiliation. These were just murmurs that we murmured in the halls and wondered if people who used to go to church with us would count themselves now as part of that group. Well, senior stats can, uh, researcher actually made the connection in the recent statistics. So uh, he said, Jared Dobson is his name. He said, it's fair to say that the two things that we are seeing, the growth of the non-religious population in Canada, along with the decline in people reporting Christian denominations are linked. Um, so you can kind of see up here on this slide, everything in red, bad news. Um, in terms of Christian traditions, they're kind of reporting a loss. But a couple of things that are kind of interesting to see, um, the, there is growth in something called other Christian. I'm told from our stats friends that it could be folks who have left denominational connections but are still interested in, in Jesus. So on a census, they might say that. So there's actually some green growth where it says other Christian, if you notice. Also, Christian Orthodox folks have grown. Stats can, uh, well, Sarah. StatsCan expert Sarah Wilkins-Lefem said that that's actually um, probably from immigration from East Africa. So a lot of Coptic Christians have moved to Canada in the last uh, number of years. I, again, I'm happy to share these slides. They may be hard to see, especially for my sweet friends at the back. Um, and so maybe for the sake of time, because I know you got to get out of here, um, maybe we can flip through two, two stats, or two slides, sorry. Those are the figures for Ontario, so Ontario-specific also Ontario-specific, but maybe the last one. This one's fun. I thought it would be kind of interesting to add to the conversation, not to make you more sad, but just for us to be honest, that Angus Reid did what I thought was a very smart uh, thing. They asked uh, for information around the religious perception in Canada. So hopefully you can follow with me if it's hard to see the slides. So Angus Reid asked people from their various faiths to share whether or not their personal presence in public life was benefiting or damaging to Canadian society. And then the next question they asked was, what about other religions in Canada? How do you feel that they are either benefiting or damaging Canadian society? 
So if you look three down on the side, we have Catholicism, Protestantism, and my favorite, Evangelical Christianity. Perhaps not surprising that 68% of evangelicals believe that their evangelical orientation of their faith is benefiting to society. They view themselves quite favorably. But just note, the rest of those boxes in red suggest that every other single religious designation in Canada believes that evangelicals are damaging to Canadian society. I saw this statistic. I was floored. It may be interesting that only 68% of evangelicals believe that their faith was benefiting to the Canadian society. I also thought that was a fascinating statistic. I would pay good money, maybe an inappropriate amount of money, to be at the EFC meeting when they discussed that, but uh, I, I won't be getting the invite, I don't think. But you know, growing up, we always thought, oh, our neighbors probably think we're so weird that we believe in this guy in the sky, the Trinity. You know, they probably looked at us like, I don't know, fine, not for me, but great for thee. I think what this statistic tells us, it's not that they think we're strange. It's probably that they're a little bit suspicious of us now. And they're not too sure that the good news that we're offering is really good news at all. I don't know about you, but when I see all this data put together, it's kind of startling. But I do think it's good for us to have a sober reflection. Maybe even for some of us to be moved to lament. Or even for anyone who's ever been in a leadership position, some culpability. Because many of this kind of happened where, while my parents were alive, while I, I'm still alive. It's kind of on our shift, I guess. It doesn't take long for us to remember the mistakes that the church has made. We've talked a lot about that, I'm sure, or you've talked a lot about that over the years. Um, I remember uh, for a long time, the narrative was that the decline only happened in the main line or in the Catholic Church. Can any of you remember that? I remember as clear as day when my sweet associate pastor at the Pentecostal Church I grew up in lamented that Mother Teresa would not be in heaven. My father quickly reminded me on the drive home that if she's not there, we have no hope. So uh, I'm grateful for his, uh, his perspective back then. But every single Christian or theological uh, tradition really is in decline. And so if we're working a metaphor with the wilderness, what do you think? Is it applicable? Have I overplayed my hand? Is Christendom finally over in Canada? Though she's certainly too humble to call herself one, one of my favorite theologians is Barbara Brown Taylor, BBT, as I like to call her. She has this wonderful quote about the wilderness. Quote, wilderness is not optional. Sooner or later, everyone comes to a place of frightening diminished resources. Things that once were, no lo once were are no longer. And you're faced to look at yourself in the mirror. Is this really who you are with all the props kicked out? Is it a trial, a punishment, the absence of God? Luckily, as Christians, we have access to an ancient body of teachings about the wilderness. What is the wilderness like on the soul of a person or a whole group of people? What meaning did they find in it? The graves that they dug, the records that they kept, what meaning can we find in the wilderness too? I think for those of us who grew up in the Christian tradition, still interested in following Jesus, we know this famous story of the wilderness uh, and Jesus' temptation. 
what he would and would not do to manifest his vocation as God's beloved. He decided against all obvious exercises of power to relieve his wilderness experience. He turned down all of those protections and decided to get empty enough and hollow enough for the spirit to fill him for whatever God had in mind next. I think for many people, the hardest thing to believe is that the wilderness uh, is a place that God has anything to do with at all. Sometimes it feels like it's the exact, exact opposite. But I love that according to the gospel of Mark, there was actually the spirit that drove Jesus into the wilderness, not the devil or the world, but the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus joins this long parade of people who both lost their lives and found them again in the wilderness. The wild places, it seems, where people came in one way and they went out another. And so my personal theological conviction is that Christendom in Canada wasn't always very good for us. It seems that those of us who desire to follow Jesus, sometimes we don't do so well when all the power is in our hand. We don't always do well when we get our own way. Our communities don't always feel and look and taste and smell like Jesus. They don't always look like long tables with lots of bread and wine. Sometimes they've looked like gates and fences with paid professional holy people who got used to full bellies while other people begged on the outside for scraps. We didn't always get it wrong. Look at this wonderful room of people. We didn't always get it wrong. I am very grateful for the witness and the people uh, who came before me that made the way possible. I'm grateful for the ways that I was discipled and formed by people who loved Jesus and people who loved the church. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't think we need to light a match and let it all burn. But we just didn't always get it all right. And so for maybe this moment, for such a time as this, the wilderness experience is actually calling to us. Maybe it's actually not all bad news. Maybe it's actually Jesus himself that's calling us out into the wild. This is where I want to leave us for today. That maybe after the lament, after hopefully the repent, after all the sorting is done, that maybe there's actually something really beautiful and subversive and tantalizing and something kind of ex exciting about an experience in the wilderness for the church in Canada. Something about the co-creation that could happen out there in the fresh air with the buzz of the city all but gone from our ears. Listen, you can take the girl out of the Pentecostal, but you cannot take the Pentecostal out of the girl. Now, I may have left my flags and tambourines at home. You're welcome. You're welcome. But they are always with me metaphorically. I can't help it. So I just have a Pentecostal hunch, I guess. A sense, a niggling, something that I think the wilderness is actually inviting us into something kind of cool, something restorative, something that actually looks a lot more like Jesus, something that actually looks a lot like humane faith, something that might look like a lot less temple and a little more tense, you know, the camping kind. And so I'm inviting you next week to come back, if you will, for another weekend in the wilderness, where maybe together we can see the moments of hope, the moments where the spirit is still moving, where God is still doing incredible things and the moments of rewilding our souls in the, in the wilderness for what the Spirit might have for us next. I could go much longer, but I do know that it, I'm, my time, I'm sure, I hope I didn't go over time, but uh, I will be here next week and hopefully with something a little more hopeful. I hope 
please don't throw tomatoes at Steve and Melissa. But uh, thank you for listening to these statistics. Thank you for listening to my talk. Um, and if you want any of these slides, quite happy to send them out to you and would love to connect with you afterwards. So thanks, everybody. <laughs>